Hello, and thank you for joining us today at Convi2X 2021 to create the virtual health blueprint with our new co-panelists for better, stronger, and faster. My name's Tori Sinai, publisher of Telehealth and Medicine Today, your moderator, and I'm here with Nir Shalom, CEO of Flow Live with me, before we bring fellow panelists to you. Nier's company is a bit different as it sits above others insofar as bringing global IoT cloud connectivity to our industry. Nier, can you introduce yourself and provide us with an introduction to your solution? How can your company help others in the industry in virtual health? Thank you very much. Great to be here. Pleasure to be here today. Um, it's a very interesting, uh, basically, domain that we are dealing with. Uh, probably one of the most fascinating one in terms of how we use technology uh, to get telehealth and better solutions for, for, for patients around the world. And uh, what FlowLife is about is to uh, make sure that when we look on advanced solutions that are based on technology, everyone in every you know, remote uh, part of the world, in every place out there, can really benefit from the state-of-the-art solutions by using advanced technologies to connect them to the internet and to, be, to allow them to, to benefit from these new solutions. So FlowLife basically is a global platform that allows uh, different use cases, in this case, health use cases, uh, to do the, uh, let's call it the digital transformation needed in terms of telehealth, in terms of connecting the patients to the uh, access they need, to the system they need, in a very simple way uh, that can be consumable by everyone without any uh, big obstacles. And the simplicity and the easy availability of the technical solutions is what distinct FlowLive in this domain uh, on a global scale. So, um, and thank you for that, Nir. But if we examine the impact of your technology across stakeholders, who, who are your clients, for example? Are, um, you know, are you going direct to the patient, the clinician, a health system, a payer? You know, what's so um, easy uh, about the platform and, and really what audience are you hooking with this? So our platform is very basically not, we are not selling it to the, to the patients directly. We're selling it to companies, to organizations like hospitals, uh, like uh, solutions for uh, uh, remote telehealth, um, for remote monitoring of health conditions, uh, for emergency systems for uh, patients for to go and, and get what they need. We provide the infrastructure for all these companies to get advanced connectivity and networking capabilities to be able to operate their health systems in a very simplistic way anywhere in the world without any limitations in terms of connectivity or network uh, capabilities out there. So for example, uh, a hospital can have a network for the doctors where they can run um, multiple uh, video and voice calls with priorities. When the doctor says it's, it's an emergency call, uh, all the network uh, um, resources become available for this specific call and gets priority over other calls. If a doctor wants now to send uh, uh, on an emergency uh, case, video of the patient to other doctors to view that with them. Uh, it can do it seamlessly and easily using the networking solutions we provide. On the other hand, if you look some, on some other use cases where patients can uh, 
connect to our platform and easily uh, get monitoring of uh, health conditions and metrics uh, to the network for doctors to be viewing and seeing it globally. Uh, this is something that our platform can go and deliver. And uh, uh, if you think about, you know, if, there, if, if a patient is getting to a metrics or to a condition that requires an emergency calling, this is something that can be automatically triggered through the platform that we provide. So very wide use, uh, set of use cases all around network and connectivity for health use cases. Thank you. It also sounds like uh, you're doing some work in, uh, in the emergency settings in that case, yes? That's correct. So for example, if, if, I'm, if I'm measuring my, uh, my, you know, my health metrics and it goes to, uh, uh, to, my, uh, uh, to my doctors or, or to, my, to the institutes that I'm being treated by, and uh, upon reaching some specific KPIs, I need to be uh, using an emergency call or someone needs to approach me on an urgent case, then our platform can put the, uh, the, the alerts and the capabilities to set this emergency setup for the patients directly. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, our next question, how does your solution reduce healthcare inequalities? Um, and really, I'd like you to talk about price and uh, geography. Um, how, uh, you know, do you have any measurements, any, any outcomes? Um, you know, our healthcare here in the, in the U.S. is at 18% of GDP. So um, how, how do we shrink that number is the question. Yeah, well, I think it's a very good question. And basically, uh, the, the problem is even bigger because not only the, uh, the percentage of the GDP is so high, but also the inequality is very, is very big in that sense that if you go to the, uh, to the bigger cities, uh, obviously you, can, you have access to better uh, health uh, uh, treatments, uh, you know, the more experienced doctors and all that. And that costs a lot of money. Uh, telehealth generally, and the ability to make uh, more data accessible for, for patients from all around the world is something that is natively enabled by the ability to uh, connect uh, patients you know, from on, you know, on a global scale with the best doctors in the world from any location uh, out there. Uh, that dramatically reduces the cost because now a connection is a connection. You can connect from from, you know, from New York, from Los Angeles, but at the same time, you can connect from Jakarta or any other city. The cost of the connection is the same cost of the connection. The doctor time is the same doctor time. So now you can basically make uh, the best doctors in the world available for patients from all around the world in a very simplistic way. This is one thing. The second thing is when you go and you automate processes and you, you digitize processes, Basically, the cost of delivering the service is becoming lower and lower. And using technology, you can really uh, make the, uh, the value chain uh, for the users uh, to become more cost effective. Because now you don't need to have uh, so many people looking on one thing. You can really use technology to analyze data, to collect data, and to trigger uh, treatments for users in a more efficient way than any, than any time in the history. And you know this global network that we are building really allows that to happen. And maybe the last use case is, is telehealth, is the ability of, uh, of a, a doctor or an expert on one side of the world to, give, to really go and, and give treatment and advice to someone on the other side of the world. 
And this one can only be done if we reduce the friction of this connectivity and digital uh, capabilities uh, on a global scale and not only in the big cities. That, um, I, I agree with you, Nir, but I think the flip side of that equation is that um, your technology may make it uh, quicker and less expensive on the IT side, but the companies that are paying and implementing and scaling your technology also need now on the back end to change those fee schedules um, and uh, which ultimately, you know, might impact shareholder value uh, and no one likes to bring that down. And so um, we really face a, a conundrum in the marketplace in terms of resizing the marketplace um, because there's no doubt and, and question that your technology makes it cheaper, um, certainly on, on one side, but it needs to be preponderated with the other in that case. Um, and so that is quite an issue now uh, stateside. Um, let me ask you this, uh, this next question. The, the challenges insofar as um, the marketplace, interoperability, for example, access to technologies, um, digital literacy, and uh, infrastructure. Um, what are the challenges that you are experiencing around the globe? So, uh, you know, the, the very basic uh, capability of connecting things with high speed from any part of the world in a frictionless way is a, is a pretty big challenge. If you, you know, we will not go deep into the technology here, but if you try to think of what is needed to be able to connect, you know, whether it's a uh, 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 pulse meters or uh, any other uh, medical uh, devices, or to enable an hospital to be a, a really a virtualized uh, by nature uh, to to get a full benefit of the technology, you need to have a lot of uh, technologies uh, connected to one another to make that happen. You need to have connection with uh, infrastructure companies around the world, like the telecom operators. Uh, the government institutes, because there is also some uh, a lot of uh, um, regulation around data, etc. You need to have uh, uh, access to you know to cloud infrastructures to be able to transport data in a in a fast way between geographies and all that. So just thinking about that, you know, how do you interconnect between mobile network operators, cloud providers? governments around the world to build something which is seamless and simple to use because a doctor that wants to use our platform, he does not know anything about that. He needs to get something very, very simple. So taking all these things and trying to simplify them to an extent that someone can really use them as they turn on their TV and watch uh, a movie is the challenge that we're trying to solve. The interoperability, the regulation, the data protection, all these things that are coming together eventually at a simple service for a patient or a doctor or anyone else in the system is the challenge that we are solving. And it's a big challenge to solve when you think about it globally. Well, let me let me ask about the timeline for that simple service solution um, because there are many, many disparate parts ar around the globe. So what's your timeline for gluing all of this together? 
first of all, uh, the, the, the first, uh, let's say, the first drop of it is already working, meaning uh, FlowLive is a global connectivity and networking solution already offers a, a global service that allows uh, different use cases like, like we mentioned before to already go and operate. Obviously, as we uh, increase our footprint and get more and more countries, more and more operators, more and more regulators on our platform, uh, more and more uh, obstacles are being removed from the road. And this is what we're trying to build. But if you look on the main countries, primarily uh, the US, Canada, Europe, China to some extent, some countries in Africa, like South Africa, the solutions are already working there in the way that I was describing before. And now exchanging and building something global in that respect is already in place. And we're working very, really intensively based on our customers' demand to increase our footprint and allow the same benefit for more and more countries around the world. Glad to hear that. Um, now, what do you envision as qualifying for um, virtual care first? Do you think, for example, that care should be um, initiated person to person or should it be, um, you know, should, should it be a digital visit or inquiry first for a triage, for, uh, for example? What's your thought on that? My, my, my and I'm, and I'm not, and I'm not, uh, you know, a health expert. But my thinking is that um, access to data in a simple way for patients uh, is something that can, you know, we can really, um, not only for patients, by the way, for patients, but also for doctors and for other people in this uh, in this uh, uh, world is. Uh, is key, meaning thinking about the ability to really aggregate uh, the global knowledge about something specific, to digest it in a, in a timely fashion, and to, make, and to make it consumable for specific cases, for specific patient, for specific doctor, is something that if we can do something to, uh, to improve that ability, it's a, it's a whole thing. It's a big thing to do because, you know, if I'm a doctor, I know what I know. If I'm a patient, I know what I can read. If someone can help me to know what I need to know, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal to do. So if we can do something in that direction, I feel very well with that. All right. It's, it's back to the data. It's all about the data. So That's last it. question for you. Um, can you give us one suggestion or a requirement um, for the virtual care market to um, keep growing, to, to maintain its foothold, but not just maintain it. What we, what we really want to do is expand the marketplace. So what do we need to do that? I, 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 think, I think that the, the market needs to acknowledge the, uh, the strength of the new technologies coming in. The new technologies coming in uh, allow things that were never possible in the past. Uh, access to basically uh, all the data in the world in a way, the ability to get the data that you need in a simple way, the ability to remove friction and obstacles for people to connect and use these services in a very simple way is something that we couldn't do before. So my suggestion is not to be afraid, 
not to think about five or 10 years ago, but think about the following thing. The world is changing. There is a real revolution out there. It's the data revolution, the digital transformation, the technology revolution that can really, can really uh, make a big difference for each one of us. We just need to be open to embrace it and understand that it can deliver real value for us and not be afraid of it. If we think this way, the revolution will come. Okay. All right, then. With some guardrails, we hope. Um, so, Nir, I'd like to thank you very, very much for your time today and, and visiting us. I, I believe you're in Israel, correct? I, I'm in Israel today, yes. Yes. Uh, not thank flying, you for joining us. Thank, thank you, you very, so very much. much for joining us. So, Nir I Shalom. Think. CEO at Flow Live, and um, thank you again, Nir. We're we're going to include now uh, our the rest of our panel um, and uh, startups and and market pioneers, as are you. And again, thanks very much for your time. Same here. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. The questions. Have a nice day. Thank you. Hello, and thank you all for joining us today for Convi2x 2021 to create the virtual health blueprint for a new health era around the globe. My name is Troyce and I, I'm the publisher of Telehealth and Medicine Today, your moderator, and I'm here with pioneers and market makers in the virtual care sector to present perspectives for our new co's better, stronger, faster panel. We'll approach each question in a round robin format and we'll begin with the letter A. So we'll start with April. And April, if you can please introduce yourself and provide us with a quick introduction to your company's new era health solution. Absolutely. And thank you to Tori and to the Converge to Accelerate team for having me today. Uh, my name is April Mims, as Tori mentioned, and I'm the Senior Vice President of Public Policy at Hims and Hers. Uh, perhaps you've heard of us because perhaps you've seen an article or some social media where Jennifer Lopez, Miley Cyrus, or Rob Gronkowski are using our hair care or mental health products. But behind that marketing, behind those celebrity endorsements is a very sophisticated and modern telehealth platform that's really revolutionizing healthcare. I come to this conversation, you know, not as a doctor or even as a CEO, but like so many folks out in the audience, really as a patient, somebody who has been frustrated with the traditional healthcare experience and really resigned to healthcare as having long wait times, uh, confusing billing, and even discrimination on the platform. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to you all today about Hims and Hers, which is a platform I joined about a year ago as our senior vice president. When we think about Hims and Hers, we are a direct-to-consumer telehealth and wellness platform and our mission is really to remove and eliminate stigmas around healthcare and wellness and break down barriers when it comes to accessibility and obtaining quality care. And you know, that's really a mouthful, but really what it comes down to is imagine if with respect to healthcare, you know, with you know, the touch of a button, we could give you access to the best healthcare in the world from the comfort of your home within minutes. That is really what Hims and Hers is about. And it's really the combination of a number of factors. You know, the first is the fact that healthcare, as I mentioned before, is one of the last industries to not be on demand. 
And we know that especially for Gen Zers and millennials, this is in, it's incredibly important for them to have a customer and patient-centered approach. The second, as we know, the use of mobile technology has skyrocketed, and that has made it easier to access technology from the touch of a button. And then the third, of course, is um, the growth of generic prescriptions that has really created a marketplace so that when appropriate, providers are able to prescribe medicines that are affordable and easily shipped to your door. That is really what HIMSS and HERS is about in a nutshell. We start with creating a great telemedicine platform that uses a great EMR that makes streamlines the intake process, the charting, the tracking, and the prescriptions for uh, both providers and patients. We partner with great medical groups to provide world-class care to folks across the country so you can get it from the comfort of your home. We have a great marketing team and outreach team that really makes healthcare accessible. Sometimes we use humor, sometimes we even use irreverence to get people to come to our platform and talk about conditions that they otherwise would not talk about around sexual health, skin care, hair loss and behavioral health. And then finally, we're all about creating an affordable platform. Um, we are a cash-based platform right now. We've done our research and for many of our platforms and our, our, our services that we offer, um, the cost is the same that it's going to cost you for a copay if you were using insurance. So in a nutshell, that's what we're all about. I look forward to an exciting conversation. I know we've got a wonderful panel here and I just wanna thank you once again for having me. Thanks so much, April. Um, Lisa, how about you? Lisa Lavin. I am founder, CEO, and chairman of OhmCare. Um, I'm just going to share a little bit about our company here. OhmCare is a digital health company pioneering a customizable open access home health platform that allows healthcare organizations to extend care into the home via a secure, easy to use telehealth platform. Um, and integration with our patented medication dispensing technology. OhmCare enables remote delivery of wraparound care coordination and integration of existing remote patient care solutions and promises real medication adherence defined as right medication, right time, right person. OhmCare allows healthcare organizations to rapidly deploy a home care strategy customized to their brand and customize to their patients' needs. That's what we're about. Thanks very, very much. And last up, we have Russ. Russ Glass, CEO of Ginger. And uh, recently we merged with Headspace to create Headspace Health. Thank you so much for, for having me. We are very focused on how do we solve the supply demand imbalance in mental health. So there's far too many people in the world, the World Health uh, Organization estimates a billion that uh, have a diagnosed mental health condition but don't have access to care. And um, so we're, we're looking to create a platform, a solution that allows people less expensive access to care, more preventative care, uh, get people started earlier and farther upstream in their mental health journey, understanding that, you know, uh, everybody has mental health issues to deal with just through normal life, uh, give, build, give them the opportunity to build routines, to build resilience and develop routines that help them throughout their lives of, um, you know, ups and downs in mental health. And then 
be there for them as they need more. So we bring uh, text-based behavioral health coaching, therapy, psychiatry, all delivered in a collaborative care environment and based on the personalized needs of those individuals uh, you know, and where they are in their mental health journey. Thank you for that, Russ. You all, each of you, um, operate in um, unique niches that are now growing um, exponentially in, in, the, in the sector. So if we examine the impact of your solution or technology across stakeholders specifically, and by that I mean um, uh, you know, patient, health professional, uh, health system, and or payer, for example, what's so transformational about your specific solution? April, you wanna go first? Yeah, happy to jump in here. Um, as I mentioned in my introduction, you know, we're really at Hims and Hers about patient-focused care. And for us, that means really taking out so much of the clunky and logistical nightmares that come along with just getting involved in a healthcare visit. We've all been there. You wanna have a doctor's appointment, but you have to go through scheduling. You have to arrange childcare. You have to figure out whether your insurance is actually going to cover the visit. Um, once you finally get all of that handled, you actually have to get to your appointment. You have to arrange transportation. You have to figure out parking. You have to go, once you finally get into the clinic, you go through a robust intake process. And then if you're finally given a prescription, you need to figure out how to pick it up at your local pharmacy. And so in terms of what Hims and Hers is doing, we are streamlining that process um, creating a beautiful, much more simplistic process. Um, and that's really starts with, you know, creating an EMR that we built ourselves that really makes it very easy for the patient to log on, to consent to the visit, to fill out um, a very easy intake process where they can look at their medical history, provide information about their condition. And that can be sent to the provider, oftentimes not even in real time. That the, and then that provider can look at it perhaps several hours later. It's a form of telehealth that's been coined as store and forward or asynchronous, um, but it's revolutionary for so many people, especially people who have busy schedules, people who perhaps don't have a high speed Wi-Fi connection and wanna do a visit from the comfort of their phone. This is revolutionary for them because they're able to do this visit not in real time. Also, as I had mentioned in my introductions, we're all about destigmatizing healthcare. And so for many people, if they have a sexual health condition, if they have hair loss, skin care issues, they might not wanna have a visit that's in real time. And so what's wonderful about this technology is we're able to meet the standard of care in every state and where appropriate and where we're meeting those state guidelines, we're able to do these asynchronous visits. Um, we're able to um, have providers give feedback to the patients. And then if appropriate, prescription can be prescribed and sent to their door. Um, and so it really creates this beautiful process that streamlined, makes it so much easier for the patient. Uh, the other side that I'll speak to, and I know there are many facets of healthcare, many stakeholders involved, is the provider. Um, the, for the provider, this is a wonderful experience as well. The EMR makes it very easy to track patients. Um, we have a number of conditions on our platform, but um, the way that the intake process is set up, that there's um, one patient record for that patient. So perhaps a patient comes in with a mental health condition, but they also 
are looking for um, treatment for sexual health. All of that can be combined into one EMR. Um, and then it can be also allow that provider to send that information to the pharmacy very easily. Um, we use technology as well to flag when certain conditions need to be looked at, whether it's a cardiovascular condition or something that needs to escalate a condition beyond a telehealth visit to a health system. And then, of course, as I mentioned with the asynchronous technology, the benefit there is that the provider doesn't have to schedule that visit in real time with that patient, but can look at it two hours later. Um, or in the morning before they go into their, their normal nine to five visit. So it's really about creating a seamless, efficient, um, safe experience for both the patient and provider. So those are two of the stakeholders that we're, that we're reaching out to and, and really making it easier for. Thank you. Lisa, I think um, yours may be just a little different. Yes, absolutely. Yep, a little bit. You know, I think what's true and what we're hearing today and we're going to be talking more about is just there's a lot of problems in the healthcare system and especially as we're trying to mobilize virtual care there's a lot of barriers to that so a few things one is a lot of people don't know this that 50 percent of people that are taking medication right now are non-adherent and and which means they're not taking the right med at the right time which costs our country in excess of 300 billion dollars every single year and we lose over 125,000 lives as a result of this but also at the same time we've got 10,000 people every day turning age 65 and 50% of this population um, has three or more concurrent chronic health conditions which is also very expensive now add on top of that you've Right now, today, we've got seven to one caregivers for every senior. And in less than 10 years, that ratio is going to go down to four to one. So we've got this hockey stick growth of people that need care, and we've got a flat line of people that can provide care. It is this reason why we exist. We've got to become more efficient in the way in which we provide care. And we have to remove technology as the barrier to getting that virtual care. So that's why we exist. Thank you. Russ? stakeholders for you we have we have three core audiences it's it's our members so people that need access to behavioral health care it's our customers so enterprises health plans that have members or employees that they want to provide better access to behavioral health care and then finally providers so those delivering care and trying to do so at the top of their license and trying to do so in a measurement-based and collaborative care way. And the platform we've built is designed to force multiply those providers, to give them uh, the ability to personalize care in an automated way, to create efficiency in delivery of care so they're not wasting time on things like billing and and paperwork and finding patients and management of those patients to give them a team that they can bounce things off of. And then finally, to surround them with technology that's monitoring the chats and the interactions that we're having with members, making predictions about what's going to get that member healthy faster and uh, providing decision support to make sure that those members get to the best care as fast as possible so that they get healthy and can continue with their lives. Thank you. So our next question, um, how your solutions um, reduce healthcare inequalities? And um, when we talk about inequalities, that can mean price, 
um, availability for different patient groups. April, I know what you're about to say already. Um, and geographies. So April, take this one. Um, we've, we've already heard about the patient groups. So maybe you wanna talk more about uh, price and geography. Yeah, happy to talk about price and geography. Um, this is a issue that's just important to me personally. One thing that I wanted to flag is that um, at Hims and Hers, we're also a co-founder of what's called the Telehealth Equity Coalition. And that's a partnership that we've forged with the National Health IT Collaborative for the Underserved. We have over 100 members really dedicated to this concept of how do we break down barriers for underserved communities. In order for us to truly deliver on the promise of telehealth, we need to make sure that it's accessible for um, underserved communities, people who have geographic restrictions, um, people who have payment restrictions, and frankly, people who have technological barriers. I know we're going to get into this a little bit later when we talk about digital literacy, but one of the things that I've learned through this process, and I know that Hims and Hers is focused on, is it's not always about creating the most complicated technology. It's actually using the technology that our communities have and utilizing it in a way that can um, best leverage what they have, whether that's a mobile device. Um, for some folks, it might just be a phone um, or audio tools. That's really you know, how you're going to increase accessibility. Um, in terms of geographic restrictions, this is something that we're very focused on. I'm sure you all have seen the statistic that 80% of rural counties have about a two hour drive to a provider. So from our perspective, um, as I, uh, some of my colleagues here, Lisa and Russ have pointed out, um, we have to find a better way to triage patients. We have to find a better way um, so that everyone doesn't have to go into a big health care system to get care. And from our perspective, what our product does is really helps us become the front door to healthcare. Um, for people that have acute non-episodic conditions, we have a primary care practice where the providers that we partner with can treat 30 different low-risk conditions, you know, everything from UTIs to rashes, um, things that in the age of COVID, you should not be going necessarily into a doctor's office if you are low risk um, to be getting care for. And that's one of the ways in which we can save time, um, take the burden off of our healthcare system and our healthcare workers. And for folks who live two hours away, they're able to get this uh, care from the comfort of their homes. And then in terms of payment solutions, as, you, as we've, I've pointed out, which makes us a little different, we are not right now accepting insurance. We're a cash-based platform. But we've also done our market research. And what we know is that for a number of our conditions, um, the price that you would pay for primary care is the same or less than you would pay as your copay. Um, you all have heard the statistics that there are so many in our population that are uninsured and underinsured. I think the average deductible is about 2000 a year. So for many folks, um, they may have insurance technically, but their ability to actually utilize it for low risk conditions, it makes it not worth it going through the entire hassle. If they can get a primary care visit and have unlimited visits with a doctor um, for 20 to $30 a month, that may pan out to be a better deal than actually going through their insurance if they have it. Um, with respect to our psychiatry practice, we've done something a little different, which is, you know, allow people to have a consultation and follow up with a psychiatrist, as well as a prescription and shipping at your door for $85 a month. Now, when you think about those services bundled, that ends up being less than most people would pay 
um, one, reaching their deductible, but even if they've reached their deductible um, with their copay. So those are a couple of the ways in which um, HIMS and HERS is really making care more accessible for those who are uninsured and underinsured and people who have geographic restrictions. It's definitely a different business model. Can I ask very quickly, because we need to move on. Um, your patient demographic is what? Is it younger, you know, 30s to 40s? Um, it doesn't sound to me like it's going to be, you know, 60 to 80. You know, it's that was my impression when I, when I first learned about hims and hers. We do have a very robust young, young following and, and folks that are in their teens and 20s. Um, they like the fact that it's on demand. They're used to the, the chatting culture. They're used to um, getting care from their phone. But also we have services that, that tend to help those who are older. You know, when you talk about sexual health, when you talk about erectile dysfunction and some of these more stigmatized conditions, we do have people on our platform who are in their 40s and 50s. And, you know, for whatever reason, they don't feel comfortable going in for a primary care visit, going to see their doctor in person. Um, and especially during COVID, it's much more convenient and safer to get care from their homes. So while we do have um, a large following of young people, we also, you know, trend with folks in their 40s and 50s as well. Okay, thank you. And full disclosure on my part, Telehealth and Medicine Today is a member of uh, your coalition. Um, I just wanted to put that out there uh, and be transparent. Thank you. So Lisa, if we go to you, um, how does your company and solution reduce uh, these inequities? Uh, price, very, very big indeed uh, for many, many people um, that can afford as well as can't afford, frankly, because um, costs are just skyrocketing. Um, patient groups and, and geography, what can you tell us? Well, the, the primary uh, patient group that we're focused on, of course, is over the age 65. It's that senior population, the Medicare, Medicare Advantage population, where 50% have numerous chronic health conditions they're trying to deal with, and they're taking five plus medications at any one given time. When you talk about that population that is on polypharmacy populations, um, not only is it difficult for them to oftentimes manage medications, but also it's difficult for them to just deal with technology. Technology is a barrier. So we tried to eliminate that and design a hardware system to serve up the, the services that April is talking about and that Russ is talking about to serve them up in an easy way in the home. So we, we designed the system from an ease of use from a very high sensitive touch. As we age, our hands get dry and they don't respond well to the touch screens that exist today. You have to have a really high sensitive touch screen. You have to have a really bright large screen with large icons with easy one touch access to my pharmacy, to my healthcare provider, to my loved ones. Um, but also to be able to reduce the internet bandwidth requirements that are required to be able to use that technology because we know today internet is not what it should be for 20 to 30% of the population. You talked about cost. I think one of the biggest costs that we have today in healthcare is medication non-adherence. To do what we do today, you have to actually show up at somebody's door, hand them the medication and watch them take it. And that's what OMCARE can actually do remotely. The cost of that service to do a door delivery of medication is over $100 a day. With OMCARE, we're able to provide that same level of high human touch, high tech uh, touch service for pennies on a dollar. 
So we can affect healthcare and reduce the access and reduce costs. So talk to the policymakers out there because I'm all about reducing costs. We're at 18% GDP easy right now. Um, where, how, uh, well, you talked about, you know, your company saving, uh, you know, uh, uh, several cents, say it's five cents. Um, but if you're multiplying that out across the nation, um, what are we talking about in terms of what the market can save healthcare in the United States? I mean, how staggering are those numbers? Right. If you just look at medication non-adherence itself per member, we can save each member in excess of $4,000 a year in costs and expenses. And that's just the ones that are talking about the complex chronic. So more than just pennies, we're talking thousands of dollars yeah. as it relates to managing their chronic health conditions, as well as making sure that they're taking the right medication at the right time. Okay, thank you very, very much. That's something to uh, seriously consider. Um, Russ, uh, you're, you're a player in the one niche in the market um, that has needed probably uh, the most help, assistance, care, ongoing, um, and is, I, I would say, I would think, um, the uh, largest sector moving forward um, in terms of market share. Um, so what about your company in terms of reducing um, inequities, including price? And because the market is so significant, what might that impact be in the U.S. if you were talking to policymakers? Because we're, we're trying to craft a new blueprint here. There's a few components to this. You know, first is... Uh, increasing accessibility. So how do you increase the amount of providers that are out there or the amount of care that each provider can deliver? Right now, it takes literally months for people to get access to a therapist, to get access to a psychiatrist. And then most of those are not taking insurance today. So greater than 50% of those providers are, are not taking any kind of insurance. So accessibility is a huge deal. And then how do you, how do you, uh, create efficiency? How do you pull the costs out of care? And, you know, our, our goal is the most comprehensive, the most accessible platform for delivering low-cost care. We have started to expand from, you know, the employers as the payer. So, you know, over 600 employers that, that utilize the platform today to health plans. And, and really, we started with commercial plans. So, for instance, Cigna now uh, provides Ginger as a paid benefit for their 14 million members, mostly commercial members. And uh, we're, we're at the point now where we're starting to expand into Medicaid and, and um, trying to reach those underinsured audiences that today have very little um, opportunity. And so we just launched with AmeriHealth Caritas in the Mid-Atlantic and, and really to learn what, what does it take to support these these members, which are different than commercial members, they, you reach them differently, you, they're going to, they're going to get access differently, but we want to learn because ultimately a huge percentage of, of need out there is, is in these underinsured, uh, under, uh, reached audiences that, uh, need access to this kind of care. 
So I'm just going to digress. I'm going to add one more question for you specifically, um, because it sounds like you are um, uh, you've scaled up or are scaling up. So in doing so, um, how has that impacted the, the business or the trajectory or um, have there been any problems in that area specifically? Well, I'd say, first of all, the focus on it is driving the business. So, so it's all positive. If, if, you, if, if, if our stated vision is a world where mental health is never an obstacle, it means that we have to think about how to support all of these different types of audiences. It can't just be people who have great jobs, right? right? It can't just be people who have great benefits from their employer. If you think about everybody. And so those design principles that go into the, the platform we're building and, and the work we're doing, they propel us, they, they move our decisions forward. And so I would say it's mostly a positive. Now on the other side, there's complexity. So anytime you take on a new payer, any kind of payer, there's more complexity because yeah. we have such a complicated system. But then when you get into Medicaid, you get into Medicare, there are, there are different regulatory regimes that we have to make sure that we are complying with. And you know, we could have a long discussion about just the regulatory environment that we all operate within and, and the, the 50 states of regulations we have to make sure that we're managing and uh, obviously, as a HIPAA compliant healthcare organization, uh, making sure that we are uh, thinking about privacy, we're thinking about information portability, but but that's really where this gets more complicated for us. And we spend millions of dollars a year, I believe, largely wasted millions of dollars a year just on compliance, because our our regulatory environment in, in this country is so complicated. Well, we're trying to simplify. But it's it's getting more complicated. <laughs> um, next question for you all: the challenges and Russ, you just spoke to them. Um, uh, yesterday we had a full day of regulation and, and policy at Convey UX, um, both here in the U.S. and we also explored regulatory frameworks in the in the EU. Um, but uh, today we're all about you and uh, and virtual care. And so we're wondering the challenges that continue um, for your products, such as um, interoperability, um, access to technologies. This is where uh, literacy comes in uh, April. Infrastructure is another big one. Um, so April, do you wanna pick that up first? Yeah, happy to kick us off. I mean, I think Russ touched on some of the big one of the big elephants in the room which is the regulatory barriers and as our head of public policy i mean i feel like he's speaking my language there but i'll i'll avoid that topic for now because i'll just digress um but you know certainly i think one of the challenges with a, a virtual first or a digitally native platform is making sure that you're part of the healthcare ecosystem you know with hims and hers we want to position ourselves as both the disruptor and also part of the healthcare ecosystem. And so that means making sure that we are the front door to healthcare for many people who um, feel like their care is stigmatized or don't have the ability to um, take a car or get to their healthcare provider and are coming to our platform first. I think the challenge there, as you've pointed out with interoperability is that especially on platforms like ours, we have a generation 
um, of folks on our platform that want care at the touch of a button. Many of them don't have a primary care provider. We've done our market research. Um, so many of them don't have primary care, or if they do, they can't remember the name of their primary care provider. If they have a primary care provider, they haven't seen their primary care provider in years. So this older model of sort of the primary care provider being there to sort of facilitate other types of care and refer people out to specialties is blending away for many folks. And I think um, that's why platforms like Kim's and hers are so important, but it also presents a challenge for us making sure that we have a holistic experience that different specialties and different folks are talking to one another. Um, our EMR platform, I think, is a very big step in the right direction because as I said before, it's able to very quickly and easily integrate different types of care that a patient has pursued on our platform. And then we're also working to facilitate partnerships with broader healthcare systems. So we have partnerships with like Oshner Health, Mount Sinai, and we also just inked a partnership with Privia Health so that when we're not able to treat a patient, we're able to give them their medical records and then have a, a smooth handover to a broader health system um, where they can get more specialized or more complex treatment that requires in-person care. So that's one of the ways we're trying to create a more seamless experience. But I think it is a challenge for those of us in the digitally native space um, to answer that question of what happens to the primary care provider? What happened? How do we make sure that this person is getting but that, you know, wraparound care? That's something we need to work on. Um, and then as far as digital literacy, of, of course, that's always a challenge. Digital literacy, health literacy. I was just a part of a roundtable recently and one of the things that we, we touched on and that was burned into my brain because I kept talking about the importance of broadband literacy and hardware literacy is it's also important for us as people who create platforms to meet the patient where they are. It's not just about getting digital literacy skills for our patients. It's about us creating platforms um, that are easy to use, that are, um, that are intuitive in nature, um, that don't require a complicated process of remembering a bunch of passwords and figuring out what portal you need to use. <laughs> so I think that's another thing that we need to consider when we think about literacy is that uh, there's a bi-directional process. It's not just about the patient getting digital literacy skills. It's about those of us who create platforms, creating platforms that are easy for folks across the spectrum of skills to utilize. Thank you. And I just wanted to comment actually, because I do uh, a lot of work with, um, with startups. Um, you have mentioned several times now market research. We've done our market research and you're all startups and I all see you nodding your heads up and down. So clearly if you were advising a, a startup, um, you know, before they jumped into the market, um, the message I'm hearing is do your market research and make sure that you're a data-driven operation. Would you, would you all agree? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, that's that's one of the things that we did up front, and we continue to do. You know, right? You you do your research up front to to make sure that what you are building is actually somebody would buy it, right? Um, and that there's a large enough market that will buy it, so it makes it actually worth it for you to actually move forward. But then, as you're developing that minimum viable product and you're continuing down the path, continuing to get the voice of customer. One of the things I wanted to comment to. Um, as we're talking about this, um, you know, this interoperability, um, I'd like to talk about it from the provider perspective, because, you know, 
April just really did a great job talking about developing a product for the consumer and making sure that it's patient-driven and easy access. But then I think about it, when you're doing disruption and you're doing it and trying to be competitive and build something that no one else has done before, oftentimes what we can end up having is a bunch of little technology islands that don't have any interoperability at all. What I've heard, and you think about voice of customer and talking to our provider partner organizations, they're inundated every single day with these new technology opportunities. They're reviewing them all the time and they're just thinking to themselves, how am I gonna then integrate that into my current systems? How am I gonna bolt all of these things together? And what they really want, what they really want is a complete solution, a, a, a complete, infrastructure that's already established that they don't have to you know you know put bailing wire wire and, and nut and bolt things together themselves so let me um just interject and ask do you think that is government's role uh to dictate or do you think that should be left up to enterprise and and folks like like yourself to to work out and figure out no, I, I don't think it's necessarily up to government. What, what has happened in our industry is we have certain platforms that have become standard, you know, and certain regulations, certainly high trust, HIPAA, all of those things that we have to comply with and, and we, you know, HL7 and, and those certain code bases that help us to be interoperative with each other. Um, and I think for technology to really move to the next level, for virtual care to move to the next level, that we have to take a systems approach in our development and the way in which we're partnering, not only with providers, but each other as technology players. Okay, thank you. Hey, I was sorry to interject, Tori. I was, I was going to say that I was recently a part of a roundtable just to build on what Lisa said. And one of the providers who was part of the discussion, they were sort of shaking their head about the challenge that, you know, frankly, a lot of um, providers and, and health IT systems feel with all of these different platforms. And one, que one question that was asked that I thought was really interesting for us to think about is, couldn't we just have an open source platform? Right. Is there any space for us to do that? And so I'm not in that space. I'm not on the IT side, but it certainly sounded compelling to me. And I know other industries have done it. So maybe that's something that can be facilitated in the future. I think you're spot on, April, and I would just add, which is why we've developed an open API system so that we can integrate with anything out there that exists today, as long as they have created an open API system as well. You're spot on. Russ, what are you doing with your payers right now? How are you integrating? How interoperable is all this for you? And is, is it just one big headache? It, it is. It's certainly a headache, uh, you know, because each operates on its own. And I'll, I'll take a step back and, and talk about your question about government and, and our beliefs there and then how we're, how we're dealing with it. I think government does have a role to play. I don't think it has a role to play in dictating exactly how we should be interoperable. I think it has a role to play in, first of all, making sure member data and consumer data is properly protected. So there should be regulations to make sure that people who are dealing with sensitive data like this are doing it the right way. And then I think there should be uh, protections on companies not being allowed to create data islands and data moats. That if if you this is your data as a patient, you should have access to it, and you should be able to 
bring it with you wherever you go in a seamless way. So I think there is a role to play because otherwise those types of modes can be used for competitive advantage and that's not good for the consumer. Right. But then on the other side, how we're dealing with it is really looking for opportunities to standardize the kinds of information that are needed to create great member experiences across these different components of the ecosystem. So we have standardized what we call our release of information. So making sure members know exactly what kind of information might be shared and then giving them the ability to create approvals for who we'll share that with. Then we, we have our after visit summaries, we call them. So we have a summary of the data that can be useful to other providers. So as they're providing care across a spectrum. So for instance, if we're working with a Cigna clinician and that clinician owns a different part of this person's healthcare, we want them to know what we are doing so that they have insight. So for instance, that this person's PHQ-9 or their patient health questionnaire for depression uh, has gone up in the last four weeks, we want that provider to know that. Or it's gone down in the last four weeks, we want that provider to know that. So those are the kinds of components. And it's really all in the service of better, more personalized care for members. Right now, if someone has a psychiatrist and someone has a psychologist, it is extremely rare that those two people ever communicate in today's system, which sounds insane. Yeah. That your psychiatrist who's titrating medications for you and your psychologist who's dealing with the chronic therapy that you're getting would never talk to each other. But it's the rarity that they do today. And that's just an example of how broken the system is. And um, uh, we're, we're all hoping that you're uh, fixing that. <laughs> trying we're certainly trying <laughs> um, one of the things could i say something else yeah about, no absolutely you know, absolutely um i i would i know one of the things we're doing at hymns and hers that that's helpful is and that not all platforms are doing is when you come to our platform when you go to the behavioral health section you're offered a number of resources but you're off, also offered what's called a care coordinator <clears throat> and that person's job is really to to do an assessment of kind of where you are in the ladder of engagement you know, you might be at a point where you're just looking for some resources. You might want to join some, you know, anonymous support groups um, and, and be part of that system. Um, you might want to have talk therapy or a psychologist, or you might want to have a psychiatrist. But <clears throat> kind of building off of the interoperability concept, part of that goal, in addition to directing that patient where they need to go, is also making sure that there's somebody there in the middle coordinating that care for that person at least within that platform. It doesn't get to some of the broader issues that we're talking about with respect to how do you move across platforms. But I think it's at least with respect to our platforms, we can also continue to do a better job of making sure that that is in, as integrated as possible as well. Good, glad to hear that. So uh, this is the last question for you all. Um, and it should only be one or two sentences. Um, but what, what I'm going to ask now is what, you envision as qualifying for virtual care first. Um, so what basics or, or best practices are needed? Um, for example, do you have a, a definition um, for what the virtual uh, or 
first digital health experience um, is or is comprised of? Um, how, how would you define that exactly? Because we're at a point now in the industry where we're trying to figure it all out. Um, and we're trying to figure out what the protocol should be for someone, um, not just during COVID or the next pandemic, for example, um, but, you know, making it a, a method of everyday practice, um, one that we all adopt and, and find, you know, just kind of par for the course, but what, what now constitutes a um, digital first visit? Just give me two lines. April, just two lines now. <laughs> um, I'll take a crack at it. Oh, sorry. I think, I think that's gone. Um, so the, to constitute a, a virtual visit, I think you need a great platform that's easy to use, accessible, intuitive for the patient and provider. You need uh, be able to source world-class providers to provide highly qualified care. You need an outreach strategy so that you're able to um, attract patients um, in a way that where they feel comfortable um, and accessible. And then you need a platform that is um, that is that is affordable so that uh, folks are able to pay for it. I think those are probably the four of the qualities that are important for a virtual care experience. Okay, so that sounds more operational. So I'm looking for the who and the and the why. So um, you know, who is going to go digital first, or who should go digital first in terms of, seeking um, health care, seeking help in health, you know, for whatever purpose. Um, mm -hmm. what's, what's the short answer to that one? I think the short answer, you're, you're talking to a public policy person. So I'm, <laughs> going to, I'm going to say that that is a decision to be made between the provider and the patient. I'm not going to put any artificial parameters on what care is you know, limited um, and what should be virtual versus what should be in person. Technology is improving. More people are learning about this technology. Providers are becoming and, and patients are becoming more educated. And so what is possible now through virtual care will be different than even a year from now. So I'm going to push back, Tori, and challenge your question and say, yeah. it's really up to the provider and the patient. And if they can meet the standard of care and they both agree to it, then almost anything is, poss is possible in the future. Okay, so you're saying a patient, whatever the problem is, you know, I, I've sneezed three times today. I should actually call my doctor um, who's a mile and a half away um, and perhaps schedule a visit versus go online and figure out if, uh, if I'm taking my life in, in my own hands. <laughs> I'm saying that, I, I'm saying that, you sh I'm saying that if you want to use telemedicine, telemedicine can be a great filter. So, you know, in our practice, we want to be the front door to healthcare. We hope everybody comes to us first. 
we hope that our, our approachability, using the best providers in the world, using the best intake process, we're going to be able to treat you because maybe you just have a common cold or maybe it's just the flu, a, a low level flu. And even if we can't, we're gonna partner with health systems to get you the best in-person care. So almost anything can start with a virtual visit, assuming it's not a 911 emergency. Right. And then maybe it ends up being an in-person visit. But the great thing about virtual care is that you're able to see someone quickly and you're able to um, triage care and figure out where they need to ultimately end up. Okay. All right. Thank you. So Lisa, um, yeah. what, what would you uh, advise um, in this situation? What? Well, it, so I want to just dovetail, you know, on, on what April just said, you know, I think everybody really wants to know where the front door is. All right. Where's the front door? Because I need, I need some care. I've got a problem and I don't know where to go. And so everybody's looking for a front door. And wouldn't it be nice to have an affordable front door? Okay, a front door that actually, I'm going to, you know, just take a little stretch here because it might be, but it, it's, it's where the future lies, which is to use, um, you know, the, the predictive analytics and uses artificial intelligence that, that then makes it affordable to assess where I need to go to triage me appropriately. Wouldn't it be cool to actually do that before I even go see the doctor? And I think that's, I think the front door is going to be that kind of telehealth model. Okay. Russ, interested to hear uh, what your perspective on this one is. Maybe, maybe slightly controversial. I, I in, a, in a world of skyrocketing healthcare costs of a supply demand imbalance that won't be solved with more providers. I would say for anybody who can, they should be virtual first, right? And by can, I mean, from a disability standpoint, right. from a, you know, able to use the technology from an access standpoint, all, everybody should be virtual first. And it should be determined virtually whether that person then needs to get access to in-person care. I think that's the only way we solve the healthcare problems we have at scale today. Okay. Um, uh, and I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, but then we get back to day one with policy and regulation. <laughs> so um, we'll have to schedule something else with you, uh, perhaps on the journal on a podcast or something. And and uh, and pick that topic up because it Anytime. sounds like um, you know you'd all love to talk about it, and we would certainly love to uh, to have you. So let me thank you all because uh, we're at the end of our session now. Thank you all very very much for your time um, and sharing your perspectives to the day uh, with me and the audience. Thank you so very much, and and look forward to uh, to picking it up soon. <laughs>